Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bienvenidos y bienvenidas to another edition of Benzinga Cannabis Insider. We do have co-host Elliot Lane in the backstage. I don't know why he's hanging out there just <laughs> as if we didn't have a live show to host. Uh, Mr. Honestly, Lane, though, national man of mystery. That, that's me. I the American you on your action toes. figure. Oh, see how you don't love it? <laughs> ah, the American action figure. That's good. Mr. Well done, Mr. Javi. Pavaro Mr. Pavarotti from the American East. Oh, my man. Oh, you are good at this. I thought I was good at flattering you, but I think you just kicked my booty on it. Oh, man. Dude, I'm sorry about this, y'all. I'm hopping in late because my internet just crashed. So if you see my camera a little shaky here, and you, it's not you being drunk. Uh, it's just me. Uh, <laughs> but Javi, it's high. Up, man? People get high for this show. They oh, don't get you know drunk. But... Fair enough. That was that was silly. That was very <laughs> silly. Uh, dude, what's is up? What you been up to? I want to see no, you now. No, no. This is oh, not my new house. I am uh, a vacation, kind of vacationing. I'm workcationing uh, as it goes. I'm working on the beach. Um, but right. alas, it's, it's, just a, it's just a prettier sight, my friend. Uh, but you know what? We have a couple guests today. My dog says hi, by the way. Uh, but I want to hear from you. What's going on in cannabis? Yes, sir. First off, some a little bit of, of, of self-referential news, if you will. Um, Benzinga has partnered joint forces with Women Grow, the largest professional network in cannabis that connects and inspires and empowers women uh, and industry leaders. Uh, and through our new partnership, we will be highlighting uh, women-owned businesses at the upcoming Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference, which will take place on September 13 and 14 at the Palmer House Hotel in Chicago, Illinois. BZCannabis.com for more information about this. If you own a, or run a woman-owned business, uh, and, and by this I mean self-identified women, so, you know, apply as you feel. Yeah. Um, well, as you deem fit, um, we'll be we'll be waiving uh, partnership fees for four companies, and we'll be giving several other companies free exhibit space at our conference. Which I don't know if I can say this or not, but it's not particularly cheap, right? Because it's a very high level conference. It's a good investment, but a lot of people can't afford it. I mean, honestly, if, if it was my company trying to do sponsor this, I don't know if it would fit my marketing budget. Yeah, fortunately. This is a very high level uh, budget, and it's 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 uh, it's meant to be that way, right? It's on purpose. Uh, it's meant to be the decision makers in this industry networking together, the investors that are active and want to dive in on the institutional side. Uh, it's meant to showcase the the highest level service providers, uh, and it's meant to, to to showcase celebrities and politicians as well. We want every decision maker in this industry there, and uh, we achieve it. But that being said. Uh, this industry needs support uh, and, and those that have had success, no matter what side you're on, even the event side, uh, we need to give back. Uh, so that's where this partnership with Women Grow comes in handy uh, and or comes in in terms of our strategy, in terms of showcasing these companies. Uh, and we're going to be announcing another one as well uh, to help us do the same. Uh, and if you want to partner with us, reach out, Elliot Lane at Benzinga.com. We want to work with everybody and anybody. You may think we're arch rivals to MJ Biz. They're some of our best partners. Uh, so <laughs> we love everybody. Uh, but Javi, great, great shout out, man. Thank you for bringing that up. 
Some other good news out of Minnesota, where cannabis edibles will finally be available starting August 1st, 2022. People can already go to, to uh, pharmacists, you know, medical cannabis dispensary pharmacists and get pre-approved for receiving their cannabis products, edibles, starting August 1st. On the That's awesome. flip side, also in politics, uh, a House committee rejected a bipartisan spending bill amendment that would have advanced veteran access to medical marijuana. What happened here, uh, Javi? What happened, dude? I don't even know, but this is separate, right? Remember in our last show, we were discussing with, with Representative Mast um, a... Um, some 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 parts of the National Defense Authorization yes. Act. Yeah, uh, this is separate, right? There there are a lot of Got projects it. out there trying to looking to advance uh, veterans' access to medical cannabis, uh, and 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 really looking to allow VA doctors to prescribe medical cannabis without fear of reprisal, and veterans themselves medicate with cannabis should they need it and decide it's the right option for them without fearing uh you know without fear of losing their benefits as it relates to to federal benefits right um and actually you know uh, over the weekend president biden was asked you know dude are you gonna live up to this promise right of freeing nonviolent cannabis offenders offenders and he said we're working on it which not great. This, yeah, Not I don't great. think anyone should be in prison for the use <laughs> of marijuana, great. he said. And it's like, well, if you don't think they should, maybe you can do something about it. It's, it doesn't take much, right? He could. It, but that being said, like, and, and he started it, right? I mean, we, we covered the, the first 78. Um, has there been much movement since? I, I haven't heard of any. No. Yeah. But regardless, um, I'm with you. He, he needs yeah. to do more. What else? What else? Yeah, we yeah. got a couple interviews today, but I think we got a few more uh, news items in us. What do you think? Yeah, I have two, two pretty short ones. One is Canopy Growth, CGC on the New York Stock Exchange is reducing its steps by over $200 million. They uh, closed an exchange transaction of certain 4.25% unsecured notes due in 2023. Um, the idea is, you know, the CFO at Canopy, Judy Hong, said, as we navigate global economic and capital market headwinds, this action has enabled us to deleverage our balance sheet, preserve cash, and reduce interest payments by addressing a substantial portion of our 4.25% unsecured notes. Um, um, this is huge, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and I know people were... And they were looking at the the rise of CGC and thinking this is all legislatively uh, based. I think this is very massive because I think retail investors on a sector agnostic level, and if you guys are in the chat and you are sector agnostic retail investors, pipe in. You know, I mean, I mean, this is the big issue, right? It, it's debt. It, it, it's inflexible debt for the major cannabis companies. And Canopy Growth uh, just got more flexible. In a massive way, in my opinion. Indeed. Um, a couple of shout outs, and I think we should probably move over to our interview since we have two today, and they're super, super 
Interesting. The first one is a shout out to a psychedelics company, Bien Star Wellness, operating in Brazil. They started treating patients with psychedelic assisted therapy in Brazil. They're doing uh, especially ibogaine treatments for addiction. Uh, very, very cool company. And they also closed the acquisition of BRC Saúde Mental y Terapias Assistidas, which basically is BRC mental health and assisted therapies. Um, you know, gaining access to the largest market in Latin America with a population of 215 million people. They're also working with doc Dr. Rasmussen, who has 27 years of experience and has treated more than 2,500 patients with psychedelic substances. Super, super interesting thing to keep an eye on, ibogaine treatment. Ibogaine is made of iboga, which is a an African plant. Uh, very innovative uh, treatment, somewhat available in the U.S., but not as, as, as heavily regulated uh, as it is in, in Brazil. So now people can travel to Brazil and get this uh, therapy in a uh, hospital setting, which to me is super interesting. And, and I've looked at some studies, right? And one of the things that, that, that these studies suggest is that people... Uh, take one session of this therapy and then can remain sober for an entire year without relapse. Wow. Which an entire <laughs> year. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Um, I really hope we can continue moving forward uh, in the psychedelics research and development here. And honestly, props to AOC for putting that amendment through uh, or, or making that amendment happen uh, on her side. I think yeah. that was, uh, a big, a big step forward. Um, mm -hmm. Anyways, I, and, and will it be immediate? Yeah. No, but it is something that needed to happen. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it takes time. Policy takes time, but it'll happen, and I like that. Uh, two big shout outs or two, you know, little uh, plugs before we get into the interviews. Go to benzinga.com/cannabis. Check out our conversation with Jason Silva of Mind Games at Nat Geo. He talks about the awe-inspiring world of cyberdelia or cyberdelia. What he's doing there is super, super cool, making videos using AI and, and just super interesting, innovative, different. Benzinga.com slash cannabis. And then check out our list of five Latinos to watch in the cannabis space. You can meet all of them at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Chicago. Check out why we think these five are you Latinos on that list? are noteworthy. No, man. Come on. <laughs> that, would, that would be incestuous. It's like, yeah, you, you know who I love? Myself. <laughs> oh, my God, Javi. Uh, I'm cutting that exact line, uh, and it's going to be completely out of context, and that is going to be my ringtone. Um, I love that. Awesome. Javier, we got two amazing interviews today. We're going to start with uh, an amazing Arizona uh, wealth of knowledge with Sarah Gullickson, CEO and founder of the Cannabis Business Advisors. With that being said, Aaron, let's dive in, my friend. Here we are. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We're great. Welcome into Benzinga's Cannabis Insider. You have the amazing Javier Hase, host of everything here, and then me. Uh, but Sarah, we're here to talk about you. We want to hear all about you. Tell us about your journey to cannabis. All right. Well, I'll, I'll give you the quick and dirty version because it's long. So I've been in the industry, I think it's 13 years now. I basically started in the industry um, helping people get their licenses. So in the beginning, that meant putting together policies and procedures, 
um, to put together and, you know, obviously submit to the government to see if you were lucky enough in, at the time, Arizona to win one of the um, lottery balls. And then obviously we know we evolved and we turned into, you know, merit-based processes. And then we got really heavy into helping legislators put together their rules and regulations. And then obviously serving up the appropriate entrepreneurs that had, you know, the merit-based credentials. And then now the industry's flipped again and we're like entering into lottery territory again. So I can, you know, I can tell you I've seen it all. I can tell you I've maybe done it all. Um, in addition to selling my first consulting firm in 2018, I've also been able to secure licenses for myself. So I hold dispensary cultivation and or processing license across the United States. Um, I took a little hiatus after I, um, I had a non-compete for a little while. And then we launched uh, the Cannabis Business Advisors in March 2020, which if anyone remembers, that was like the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but we haven't let it, you know, slow us down. So we're still working on a lot of um, application processes. We're working on acquiring licenses by way of acquisition. And then we're also helping operators open their facilities across the United States. So mm -hmm. uh, I took a little hiatus and I was like, hey, do I still love this? And I do. So I'm still here. Um, I'm still, you know, excited to be a part of the industry. And you know, I've, I've, I love your, your uh, facts about Women Grow. At one point, I had the Women Grow chapter of Phoenix, and then you were giving some facts about Minnesota, and that's where I was born and raised. Um, so, yeah, I mean, cannabis has taken me a lot of places all over the globe. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And honestly, you know, one would think, you know, starting a, a consultant business in March of 2020 could have been bad timing. But a lot of people, like, took advantage of that downtime to plan to plan ahead actually right to think of businesses to really you know put their minds to something productive right have you seen have you experienced this and 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 are you seeing now a lot of this finally materialize or what was the situation there you know I, listen like i'm a big believer and like i don't let the fact that i'm a woman get me down i don't let the fact that you know i'm younger than some people in the industry get me down i think any opportunity is what you make it so we were served with start a startup in the middle of a pandemic and some of the things that were like carved off our, our top line were travel, right? So before we were spending ten twenty thousand dollars a month in travel totally. conferences. Yeah. I, I, I can't even tell you how much I've saved in the last couple of years. Exactly. And now it's been really cool because like we always used to meet our clients in person. And I miss that a little bit. But people are so used to doing business by Zoom. So any of the like legislative processes that halted because they couldn't collect ballots and things like that, I really felt like it balanced it out. Um, 2020 was, you know, not a great year for revenue, but we were profitable. Uh, in 2021, we were profitable as well, um, you know, and, and we've just been, you know, trucking along and, you know, really taking that time, like you said, to, you know, try and create different products and different services that we can offer. And, you know, I think that being an entrepreneur, especially in the cannabis spaces, you have to be fluid. So if you're not, you're not going to last. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about where you play the most? I mean, I mean, what markets have been good to you since you started this business? You know, back in the day, like tried and true merit-based processes were our favorite. So, you know, Illinois, when Illinois legalized the first time around, before it went to social equity, it was like a true merit-based product process. We had an apartment there. We had an office there. Um, and we really pounded the pavement there. That was back in the day when I used to take like 40 meetings a week because we were still in the education phase of cannabis where it's like, hey, hedge fund guy here's the here's the quick and dirty of cannabis and like are you willing to risk all your assets to get into it and that's what people thought back then, right so it was like 
heavier lifting, um, you know, and now, you know, people are wanting to get into the industry. So it was like back then it was like a matter of like kind of convincing people to get into the industry. And then like, that's obviously, you know, we're well past that tipping point. Um, Pennsylvania is, you know, a state that's been near and dear to my heart. I really liked how they ran their programming. We had amazing people that we were able to secure licenses for. Um, one of my favorite groups was able to get their, you know, facilities up and running and then flip it over to one of the, you know, good MSOs. Um, and so we were able to really turn a profit for, you know, that client. Um, Hawaii was fun because we got to go to Maui all the time. Nice. Um, <laughs> I so, went, you came back? Yeah, you came yeah, back. Yeah, I did. I'm crazy. <laughs> I've been offered to move to Chicago, New York, Boston, and I love Arizona. So um, this has always been my home base, even though I've had offices all over the country at, at certain points. What's up with the Arizona market, right? I, I was going to ask you about the Pennsylvania market because our next uh, guest is based in Pennsylvania, but you just touched on that. What about the Arizona market? I, I, I Honestly, it's it's hard to grasp for people outside of Arizona, but people operating in Arizona love it, which is not the case usually. You you talk with people operating in most U.S. markets and they're complaining about everything. People in Arizona are like, it's a fantastic opportunity. I love it. So what's up with that? Is it real or are there a lot of, of, of hurdles still? Well, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles in cannabis, no matter which way you do it. I don't, I love Arizona because it's my home state. I love the fact that the licenses are vertically integrated, which obviously makes them a high value license in comparison to like, you know, Florida and New York. Um, and as we know, a lot of the different um, markets have separated their licensing. So you either get a dispensary processing or, you know, cultivation. Um, it's a really old program. So it's obviously been updated, you know, in the last five years. Um, we're limited licenses, which means that there's some sort of like a monopoly situation. Um, we now have adult use. Um, so the market's a very, very healthy market. Um, you know, I think there's this misconception that the MSOs run our market and they don't. Um, we have a lot of private operators that either have one or two facilities that are just here in Arizona. So I love that because like some of my favorite dispensaries you know, are people that are from here and their family ran and they produce high quality medicine for patients and then obviously have, you know, products for, for adult use as well. Um, some of my least favorite things about Arizona is it's a lottery, right? So, you know, I think a lot of people like that because they think the barrier to entry is lower, but then there's the question of like, did the best people get the license in the sense that like, if you just leave that to dumb luck, you know, what, what does that look like? So I know a lot of the people that got the first wave of licenses, you know, back in 2010, um, you know, some of them didn't really, I mean, I don't think any of us knew what these businesses would take. I mean, now if you ask mm -hmm. what it takes to stand up a dispensary cultivation and processing center, you know, you know, you're, if you're building out large facilities, you're at 15, 20 million. So, yeah. you know, I think a lot of the operators didn't know maybe what they were getting into. And I think a lot of the operators were more worried about like padding their pockets versus like, you know, moving the industry forward. Um, so Arizona is, um, I love Arizona, but I also hate Arizona. <laughs> Does it, it, you know, when I think about companies in Arizona, my mind goes to like a mint dispensary, yes. you know, and they're local you know. guys. I know them. They're awesome. They're doing great numbers and they're doing like a new concept, right? Which I love to see creativity in the industry because our industry just lacks it because of the regulations. Yeah. And also there was a, I spoke to the mint guys, I feel like recently about something to do with like actual, um, 
culinary. I, I, um, I think they have something to do with culinary with their dispensary. Uh, do you see that more? Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's like, I cannot remember what it is. Um, uh, but is, is that moving forward? I feel like they were, they ran into a licensing issue or some sort of regulatory issue there. You know, I don't know exactly how that was passed. I don't think that there's another facility that's been able to get a similar type concept like that passed. Not that it's like, uh, you know, operating outside of the regulations because it's not. Um, but it is a super cool concept where you can like order food um, and then like a lot of the sauces and things like that are infused. Um, I, I don't know that the department will let other people do that, but that's obviously TV. No. <laughs> I got uh, one, one question to close it up. But first off, actually, you reminded me today, Copper State Farms uh, announced they had a new CEO of Five Simington, Copper State Farms based in Arizona as well. So big shout out to uh, Copper State and Five, you know, wishing you much success. Uh, moving on, you know, to, to close it up, unfortunately, you are running out of time here. But, you know, considering a little bit about the current landscape, recent news, what's going on, what should investors consider when looking at the opportunities and trends and, and, and where they can fit in in this market. Right. And I think that that's like really you first have to start with like how much money do you want to dedicate to the industry, right? If you want to dedicate $5, you know, buy some stock. No, a lot. There's always a lot. <laughs> right. If you want to invest a couple hundred thousand dollars, then you can apply in states like uh, New Jersey and New York. And, you know, that could basically get you through the licensing process. Um, if you want to dedicate a couple hundred million, you know, there might be some opportunities coming up in some of the states that have vertical licenses. Um, and those are going to take that much money to compete with the people that are already playing there. Um, you know, Florida specifically, if they give away more licenses, you get unlimited dispensaries. So, you know, your budget obviously has to be pretty steep. So we're working super heavily in uh, New York. Um, New Mexico is a great opportunity if you're not like too late to the game, but they've been doing some really impressive numbers from a recreational standpoint. And then um, they have unlimited licenses too. So the barrier to entry is somewhat lower. So you have uh, New York, uh, New Mexico, New Jersey, um, Virginia's coming up, Alabama's coming up. Um, those are going to be more merit-based uh, merit application processes. Um, we're working with some clients in Alabama. Um, we actually have a like deck that outlines all the opportunities that will be available over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. And a lot of our investors buy that so that they can really synthesize that and understand where to go, where they have residency requirements met or social equity, you know, connections met. And then that's basically how how we help people get into the industry. Yeah. I'm not like I like that. That is a classic Sarah Gullick something, right? Like the, uh, the the guides. It's like, okay, you can get the full advisor or here's a summary of everything you need. You, you know, you back in the day, I was like, how do I duplicate myself? So I was like queen of webinars, queen of white papers. And I was just trying to get the information out to the masses, you know, to get some good peeps in the industry. And I think I did a, a decent job. I love that. That's awesome, Sarah. Well, you know what? I want to have a follow-up conversation on Illinois. Because it seems like you've watched it from the beginning. So let, we'll have Sarah back on, but I'm sorry we have to cut it short no here. Worries. But it's been a pleasure, Sarah. Thank you Thanks, so much for, for spending some time with us here. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. All right. All right. Javi, that was awesome. That was a lot of fun talking about Arizona. But also, I didn't realize like how, her depth in the industry, but I think you did. You, it sounds like you, you, you've seen her uh, reports for a while. Man, you got um, – there's not a lot of, of – female leaders in the industry, unfortunately. Um, 
So I don't know. It's 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 always well, we're important. looking to change that. Yeah. Exactly on, on, on where women minorities in general are doing in this industry, and and really shine a light on that. Right, uh, it's not only the large MSOs with massive marketing budgets that should get the the media's attention, and it's certainly not helping to act. So we've, Amen followed, to that, my we've also been following our next guest, have we always. not? Always, always, Javi. Let's bring him in, man. Let's give him the good old Javier Jose introduction. Yes, sir. Let's first roll the credits. There he is. Gentlemen, how are you? Welcome in. We got Jim Mish, CEO of 22nd Century Group. This is your first time joining us, I think, right? It is my first time, and uh, that's a tough act to follow. Sarah was uh, was incredible, so uh, that's, uh, that's a tough yep. act to follow. I'll do my best here. Far too short, but I don't think we're going to be too competitive in terms of the knowledge we're after today. <laughs> I, think, no, I think you all do something very, very different. So can you fill us in a little bit, Jim? What do you do in cannabis, man? Or around yes. it, we should say. Sure. So, so 22nd Century at its core is really a plant-based biotechnology company. Uh, we focus really on three specific plants, tobacco, cannabis, hemp, and hops. And we do that because they're all from the same family of plants and they're very challenging to modulate, to stabilize. And that's really our value proposition, the ability to uh, enhance and modify the plant on a non-GMO basis to improve things like yields and cannabinoid content, et cetera. That's the core of our business. But what we've built out, we believe, is a unique asset uh, on a global basis. And that is we want to fit into the value chain in the very uh, front part, starting from how these ingredients work, uh, receptor science, really taking a leading edge of being able to explain to our customers and consumers, you know, how do these products work through receptor science? And we do that out of our Rochester, New York uh, facilities. And then we've uh, locked down what I believe is the top shelf ability to uh, gene edit the plant on a non-GMO basis to, again, improve yields, improve disease resistance, but most importantly, dramatically and disruptively increase the cannabinoid content uh, in one fashion or another. We can talk more about that. But then we go further into breeding to make sure that the uh, plant strains are stable. We can grow them uh, on a large basis, either in uh, greenhouses or in uh, large farms around the world. And then finally, we've uh, just recently made an acquisition in May of uh, GVB Biopharma out of uh, Oregon and uh, Las Vegas to put us into the uh, world's leading supplier of uh, CBD and other cannabinoids. Now we uh, are number one with just under 20% of the market share, but also have become um, a really world-class CDMO with the ability to formulate and improve the formulations of anything from tinctures to gummies, et cetera. Uh, so we wanted to play in that value chain everywhere from receptor science to white labeling CDMO. We've built that out over the last two years, and now our disruptive plant strains are starting to come onto the market. We can license those or take it all the way through a kind of an a la carte basis for our customers uh, to help them uh, build really a, a better product. Uh, so we're not a branded company, uh, much like the Intel inside or uh, you know BASF, uh, we make the products better. And uh, that's how we fit in uh, into the value chain and our ability to modulate these plants in a roughly a two-year cycle 
uh, is really uh, what's gaining uh, more and more attention in the in the global market. I don't want to ambush you with a scientist question, but I'm very curious as to as to gene editing versus breeding. Right. Um, you're doing a little bit of both. How do they interact? How do they, do they intertwine? And are you leaning toward either one of them? Is it a combination of both that results in better plants and more uh, cannabinoid content, maybe in, 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 in specific terpenes or, you know, depending on how you're tailoring these plants, right? But can you tell us a little bit about the dynamic between these these two? One of them, you know, the, 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 the breeding being the super traditional old school, uh, you know, practice, agricultural practice that we've been seeing in the world for, what, 5,000 years and gene editing, which is like, at the forefront of technology? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and there's a difference in our how we view it between crossbreeding and breeding, right? So we, we start with a combination of understanding the biosynthetic approach in the plant. So we have intellectual property to understand the most efficient biosynthetic pathways to gene edit to modulate these plants. And that's where it really all starts. Then through that process, we actually gene edit the plant, but we pay very close attention to the GMO policies and we do it on a non-GMO basis. Part of that at times is via very laser focused crossbreeding at, at the small scale. Ultimately, what you end up with are clones or a, a small amount of seeds that take you in the right direction. But now you have to breed it. In our vernacular, breeding is just scaling it up. Uh, into the ability to grow it in large quantities, either in very controlled greenhouses or in the best case, out in farms around the world because the plants have been optimized. So it's a combination of everything. We, we use crossbreeding, the traditional crossbreeding, very sparingly in the early stages. But to take these clones, these seeds, and go from you know a handful of them or so to hectares that are very consistent both in their consistency and their, their disease resistance and drought resistance and their yield is what we focus in on breeding. We actually do a lot of that with uh, partnerships around the world, including in the U.S., in Canada, and uh, most recently in Tasmania, of all places. As it turns out, one of the uh, key breeders of alkaloids and cannabis and hemp is in Tasmania and very, uh, very close friends. Wow. I did not expect that to be a part of this conversation. <laughs> well, we view that as a, you know, as an issue developing in the, in the market, which is as you scale up, uh, that the plants have never been optimized and stabilized. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's really our role in this is to be able to bring large quantities, but a very high quality, very high consistency, and quite frankly, a lower cost because the expression of cannabinoids go up much higher than they are in today's strains. Now, I have two questions for you. First being, you said non-GMO quite a few times mm -hmm. uh, in that initial presentation. I think we all probably understand why it's important to be non-GMO. If you, if I'm, maybe my assumption could be incorrect, I'd love to hear about that. But also, is it an issue in cannabis for, for and, and these plants to be utilized with GMOs? In the U.S., not so much, but on a global basis, especially in Europe, uh, they take a different uh, different view. It really is a legal, you know, legal issue more than anything else. Uh, so we pay attention to is our our procedures and our processes in how we're doing this to make sure that it it uh, reflects and meets all of the global definitions of GMO or non-GMO. In our case, non-GMO. Mm -hmm. So. 
I think in the, you know, as the as the market unfolds, it may become less and less of an issue. But if you want to really do large business in the European theater with new strains, uh, you better have a, a non-GMO approach to it, which is how we do it. As it turns out, it it's it's much more efficient, we believe, than the, than the old GMO standards. And we can move quickly. And that's what helps us keep on this uh, two year cycle of, uh, of time. Uh, now, second question here for me is, um, you say you work across alcohol, cannabis, hemp, as well as tobacco. Um, I, I guess you can answer this from a revenue standpoint. You can answer this from a scientific standpoint. But which plant have you seen the most success uh, in as a company? Yeah, they're all in different stages. So what we do in tobacco, for example, is we have a, a very low nicotine level tobacco. It's 95% less nicotine than a standard tobacco plant. And we have actually brought that forward through FDA authorizations, two of them, to be able to launch a low nicotine non-addictive cigarette into the market, which we just did over the past two months in the pilot basis in Chicago, Illinois, uh, with the brand VLN. And that VLN has been documented by the FDA clinical trials to uh, help you smoke less. It's a harm reduction product. Uh, to help break the addiction of the combustion and nicotine of regular cigarettes. So that's our major play. And that's the foundation of the company that's, you know, 15 years uh, in the making. In cannabis, uh, the company joined in, or jumped into the cannabis market in this regard about uh, three years ago. So all the all that I've just described has been transformed over the past uh, three years. But now we're offering these new strains, but we also cultivate hemp in the U.S. Uh, we cultivate marijuana around the world. We can offer it as biomass. We can offer it as isolates or distillates, or we can license the technology out to others. And then right behind that is we have uh, disruptive hop strains, uh, you know, much higher levels of hoploids that are now shown to be uh, efficacious in things like anti-inflammation and gut health also can modulate the flavor profiles as well. And they're about a year behind. They're coming through this breeding process now as we speak. And we'll be entering into the revenue stream on that uh, probably by the end of this year. So I would, to answer your question on a revenue basis, up until very recently, our tobacco business was our largest revenue generator. That has now been overtaken with the acquisition of uh, GVB. But our, our cigarette brand is very quickly picking up a revenue stream. And I expect that to overtake cannabis hemp uh, at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, but we're, you know, we're focused on all three business units or franchises, we call them. And over time, uh, you know, we believe things will equal out uh, of the three business units on a revenue and profit basis. Now, you know, you could call it hedging, of course, but at the same time, you're doing tobacco or, you know, nicotine in general, but like tobacco and you're doing hemp, which many pose as a, an alternative to tobacco as a great smoking cessation uh, or at least nicotine cessation and mechanism, right? How is it not shooting yourself in the foot, right? To, to put bet on both, right? Yeah, how great. do we balance them out? And, and ultimately, how does it benefit you to, to have both business units in a world where at the same time, we do see a clear trend toward lower nicotine products, no nicotine products, smoking cessation in general? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to be, uh, it's a great question. You have to be true to the mission in that category, which is harm reduction. You know, we would like to sell the last cigarette on the planet and move everyone off of combustible cigarettes, right? That's, that's our tobacco mission statement and the foundation of the company. 
that goes hand in hand with opportunities on the hemp cannabis side as well. They can work together synergistically. Ultimately, there will be opportunities to do that on a business basis. We see that in a not too distant future as well. So if you stay true to that mission, they don't really compete with each other. They're really synergistic with each other. Uh, if you're really not tuned into that mission, then yeah, it could be a cannibalization one way or the other. But we believe they're synergistic. They're both heading in that same uh, you know, that same uh, basis or that same uh, trajectory. And ultimately, they can come together to, uh, you know, to help each other out. There's a lot of evidence around CBD and other cannabinoids uh, with the breaking the nicotine addiction. This particular product uh, kind of does it because it's, uh, it's not the nicotine's not completely out of the tobacco. There's just enough in there to, in essence, coat the receptors and trick the mind into thinking it's getting a full hit. But as you continue this uh, smoking habit, that starts to separate you from the nicotine addiction. And if we can start to, you know, synergistically bring hemp and cannabis into that same platform to drive that mission of harm reduction, then we're certainly going to do that. Wow. Um, so kind of one final question for me uh, is, you know, there, there's been a couple things I'm going to reference here. One, the issue with Juul uh, mm -hmm. and everything that's gone down there. And two, in Australia, uh, the vast majority of the public uh, would rather would prefer cannabis uh, to cigarettes, and mm -hmm. they want higher crime, you know, punishments for those who offer juvenile cigarettes. I I'm curious. Uh, I mean, those are both issues, right? You know, um, and really, I think it's centralized around, um, you know, cig cigarette nicotine um, use by minors. So, you know, in terms of what you're offering, are, are there ways to um, counteract that with the technology, aka for me, I, I'm more so getting, you know, is there a product like like a vape product that you all would bring to the market to counteract uh, some of that, you know, bad marketing to these juveniles and or, you know, issues we see uh, with, with the younger generations? Yeah, we're, again, we're not a branded company, so we would not bring the, the vape product itself to the market. But, you know, we would support those who are, you know, on this same mission by bringing higher quality, lower cost ingredients, formulation capabilities to bear to put out a product that uh, you know, could fit, fit your description. I think at the end of the day, there's going to be it's a portfolio approach or a toolbox in any country. You need you need alternatives that would include vapes. You'd in, you need technologies that include other vehicles uh, to address the issue. And you do need uh, combustibles because the market is still large in that area and migrating, giving people an off ramp, as we say, from a combustible is necessary at the same time to help the cause. So we view, you know, having all those tools in the marketplace is very important. And our primary goal, with the exception of the brand that we've launched to demonstrate consumer uptake and demonstrate the technology, we want to stand behind a brand and experts in the brand and help make their products better and more effective in the marketplace. And that could be a vape company that could be, you know, many other types of company in the cannabis hemp area. And that's where we would supply uh, biomass. We could supply the isolates or the distillates itself. And what we've become very good at is helping on the formulation basis. You know, the, the cannabinoids themselves are not very bioavailable in any form. And there are ways to formulate with existing excipients out there to make those, uh, whether it's CBD or THC or other rare cannabinoids, much more efficacious in uh, tinctures and gummies and, and even on the, in a flower basis. So 
that's our, you know, that's our approach. And, and that's where we want to strategically partner with all types of companies around the world, everywhere from far ethical pharmaceutical houses to consumer products across nutrition and beverage and food and medicinal recreational. We have the, the technology and the, the know-how, the upfront value chain to work with any and all of them to make their products that much more attractive to the consumer and encourage repurchase. And that, that's where we want to fit in. Fantastic. Yeah, real fast. I know we're 11 minutes over time, but real fast, a question from the chat. It's a yes, no, let's not get too much into it. But Lord Byron wants to know if you can modify a hemp plant to produce high yields of alternative cannabinoids like Delta 8 or HHC. And if so, you know, where can they reach you? Yeah, we, we can do that. And uh, it's 22ndSecretaryGroup.com uh, or XXII. Uh, they can reach out. We, we can modulate this plant at will. Uh, and to give you an example of that, you know, our, our new strains coming out of our Rotterdam facility, now moving into breeding in Tasmania on the, uh, on the marijuana side or, or the recreational medicinal side, are somewhere around 50% THC and ultra high levels of CBD and CBN and CBG as well. Uh, so it, we view that as disruptive from a variety of ways. And we can do the same thing on hemp and do the same thing on rare cannabinoids, including uh, Delta-8, which we're currently uh, putting through the system as we speak. You know, I kind of want you to get into Delta-8. I'm not gonna lie, Jim, just there's so much bad Delta-8 products, so many bad Delta-8 products out there that I'm almost like, Jim, take over, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's get us to a new place here, areas. man. A key focus area for us, and we've got plant strains that are moving into what I call the breeding area, you know, the scale up uh, in order to dramatically improve those yields and to be able to grow those plants, you know, outside uh, in uh, hectares uh, very consistently and very cost effectively. And that's, that's definitely within our pipeline coming out of the back end here shortly. Awesome. Jim Mish, CEO of 22nd Century Group, NASDAQ XXII. Sorry, Javi, if I cut you off there, but uh, but Jim, thrilled to have you here, my friend. Really appreciate the knowledge you've just uh, imparted on us. Please keep us updated on your news. We'll bring you up after earnings. Yeah. We'll bring you up after a big update. We'd love to have you back on, my friend. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it, and I'll come back on anytime. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Be well. Awesome, Javi. What a great interview. Uh, two great interviews. Uh, in respect to Sarah, I thought We're she provided some awesome time. knowledge. I don't even It care. is what it is. No, no. <laughs> we don't run up into any other shows right now that I'm aware of, but uh, honestly, Javi, always a pleasure, my friend. With that being said, my standard plugs, Benzinga.com slash cannabis, 40 plus articles a day from Javi and his team of writers. Uh, BZCannabis.com, we will have politicians, celebrities, every, every, this is a new update, every single major MSO, every single one of them will be Everyone. at our cannabis event. Every oh, one of them, as completed oh. yesterday. Uh, so every single one of them, this is going to be another who's who of cannabis. Uh, Chicago, September 13th and 14th, bzcannabis.com. With that, Javi, my Argentinian action figure since you uh, took my thunder earlier. Uh, always a pleasure. And thanks to producer AT as always. Yeah.